Amen. Well, I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the scripture passage we consider today as we make our way through the letter to the Ephesians. We find ourselves here in chapter 3, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, verses 14 to 21. reminder of what we looked at last week we considered how the cross and the empty tomb of jesus shows us who god is and how he works with manifold wisdom that he is able to turn pain into glory suffering into salvation sorrow into joy and the gospel is proof of that for us even while Paul himself was in prison, he was reminding the Ephesians that he didn't want them to lose heart because of his suffering, because he was confident that God was using that suffering for their glory, to see them glorified in Christ. And so he wanted to see them move from one degree of glory to another. And we'll find that, in a way, Paul picks up on that same thought here in our passage. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We have a prayer of illumination here. I'll read the part. It's in their bulletin, uh, the first part, and then please read aloud as we pray and ask for the Spirit's uh, work on our hearts, illuminating us. Holy Spirit, shine your light now upon our hearts so that both the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be true and acceptable before your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. O well, loved ones, Paul's prayer here, he is taking us from one degree of glory to another. Uh, it is, in a way, as I was imagining this text, visualizing it, it's almost like a ladder that he is putting before us, leading us to a higher life into the fullness of what it means to be truly human. And each part of his prayer becomes sort of the next step uh, up that ladder to the next level, lifting us out of the pit of our sin and misery and emptiness and taking us higher and higher into the fullness of God's love for us in Christ. And so let's start off at the base of that ladder here, the foundation where Paul says in the beginning of his prayer, that he prays to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, why does Paul make this the base of his prayer here, the starting point? 
Well, he wants to remind us what he's been emphasizing throughout this letter to the Ephesians, the unity that we have in Christ. Now, there's some debate on how to interpret this verse here. Uh, Grammatically, it could read the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named instead of every family. But either way, the main point is still the same, that by faith in Christ there is no superior ethnicity called and named by God. No, rather in Jesus, by union with him, by faith in him, both Jews and all ethnicities, all nations call upon the same God as Father in Christ, our Messiah, our Savior. And we even do this, Paul says, with the saints who have gone before us into heaven. That's what he's referring to, the whole family of God. We are united with them. And so he's showing us that we are all united to Jesus, and this should encourage us to strive forward towards the glory that God has called us to, united together, together. We'll find, as we study this text today, that true growth in godliness is not just for us as individuals. It's not just for small tribes of people. No, it is a growth that is sought should be sought as a corporate body, as the whole multi-ethnic family of God with the whole church, as he'll say later, with all the saints. Our growth is to be not just as individuals, but communally together as a church. So here we are at the base of the ladder, so to speak, all united to, to Christ by faith, all calling upon the same God as our Father. And what is it that Paul prays for for the Ephesians and in a way for us? What does he want to lead us to and towards? Well, we can look at each petition here in this prayer and see how, in a way, they they build upon each other, coming to a crescendo, leaning to the height of God's glory, filling us in the end. First, he prays that by the grace, the riches of his grace, that we be strengthened by the Spirit in our inner being. What does that mean, strengthened in our inner spirit? Why do we need strength, physical strength? Let's start there. Well, strength, it's needed for completing tasks, right? Uh, For lifting heavy things or accomplishing hard and difficult tasks that are set before us, you need strength. And so a prayer here for strength implies that there is a weakness, that there is a need for more strength. And where is this weakness to be found? Well, it's the location that Paul is praying for, in our inner being, our heart. So he's asking for an increase in spiritual strength in our heart. You know, you might be the toughest and strongest person alive, hitting the gym every day, confident on the outside, and yet weak on the inside, spiritually, internally. It actually happens a lot, right? Sometimes the people that have the toughest shell in appearances, uh, that put on a tough show for everyone else, the most broken on the inside and weak and in need of grace. And maybe that's you today as a Christian. Maybe you're able to flex your theological muscles. You have a lot of knowledge and strength in that sense. Or maybe you have a lot of grit in your life, right? You're able to push through things, but deep down you're still weak. You're needy. You're empty. And to be honest, this is a place where I get stuck at. Uh, After going through seminary, after studying and reading so many books about theology, it's easy for me to confuse my head knowledge with heart knowledge. It's easy for me to confuse uh, that kind of knowledge as strength 
that, the, that God requires and seeks of us, when in fact, we need more than sharp minds. We need strong hearts. We need to be strengthened by the Spirit internally in our inner being. And that's what Paul's generally saying for all of us here, that we're all weak in our inner being. We're all too weak to do what? What's the task that's set before us? Well, we are unable to lift up the full truth of God's love for us. It's, it's too heavy. It's immense. It's vast. And so our inner being needs to be strengthened more and more by God's Spirit in order to take a hold of more and more God's love for us, which is boundless, infinite, vast. And so we see that Paul has implied that we need strength here, internally, inwardly, to move up the ladder. And so we see that this inner strength leads to what comes next, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. You see, the Spirit needs to strengthen our hearts, preparing and equipping our hearts for Christ indwelling by the Spirit himself. And Paul says in the next verse, in 17, that the Spirit strengthens you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell in our hearts. Now that idea, that concept of dwelling, it should make us think about something in the Old Testament. The tabernacle, right? And then later the temple, which was God's dwelling place in his people, Israel. But it should also take us further back in the story, back to the Garden of Eden, which was God's holy temple sanctuary, where he made humanity to be his holy temple there for his presence. As we considered last evening, or last Sunday evening, right? We're more than animals. We are made, or were made, to live in full communion with God. If you remember two weeks ago, in chapter 2, Paul finished that chapter saying, you can look at it in your Bibles, that we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in fact, when Paul starts off this passage saying, for this reason, I bow to the Father, it's that thought that he has in mind. He's picking up on that thought that the church, in reality, is God's new spiritual temple throughout the world. And so that temple reality of the church moves Paul to pray that Christ would dwell within the church, which is his new spiritual temple with all the fullness of God, with his glory, his presence, etc. But wait a second, this is interesting, right? If we pause and think about this, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Ephesians, the Ephesians, who are Christians. He's writing to the church, right? But doesn't Christ already dwell in the hearts of every true Christian by faith? In fact, Paul makes that clear in Romans 8, where he says that if Christ does not dwell in you, then you're not a true Christian. And so, yes, he does dwell in the hearts of every true believer by faith. So what does he mean here, then? Well, he must mean this, that Christ manifests his presence at times and with certain people more than others. It also means that Christ seeks to dwell in all of our hearts more and more, manifesting his presence more and more in our hearts. In his famous sermon, Divine Light, Jonathan Edwards, a great Puritan preacher, he talks about the inner working of the Spirit upon our hearts. He says that the Spirit brings us to places of deeper communion with Christ, of a greater sense of his presence in reality in us. And Edward says that the person that is spiritually enlightened 
does not only rationally believe that God is glorious, but he also has a sense of the gloriousness of God in his heart. There's not only a rational belief that God is holy and that holiness is a good thing, but there is a sense of the loveliness of God's holiness that a believer has when the Spirit has enlightened their heart. And then Edwards, he illustrates this in a beautiful way by saying that there's a difference between rationally knowing that honey is sweet. Maybe somebody told you that honey is sweet or you read it in a textbook. There's a difference between that and having an actual sense or experience of the sweetness of honey upon your tongue. It's, it's different. They're related, but it's different. Uh, in a sense, you don't fully know what it means that honey is sweet until you've tasted it. And Edwards says that that former, that rational knowledge, it, it rests in the head, whereas the latter, the experience of it, rests in the heart. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That's what he's getting at. The goal is that Christ would dwell in our hearts, not just our heads. In our heart, we know it's a throne room of, of our inner being. It includes our mind, yes, and so we don't, uh, we don't de depreciate or, or think light, lightly of our mind. We, we should engage our mind in the process, but it includes more than that. Also, our will and our affections and our emotions, our whole inner being. And so the end goal is that Christ would reign supreme over every aspect of our inner being, our whole heart, constraining us more and more by his love, giving us a greater sense of his love, moving us by his love. The goal is that each of us as individuals have this heartfelt sense of his presence with us, giving us peace and joy and contentment in all circumstances of life. And why? Well, Paul continues as he's moving us forward. He continues saying, so that we be rooted and grounded in love. That is, so that we would be deeply and firmly planted upon the rich soil of God's love for us so that we would produce the fruit of love for one another in our acts and our words and our time together. Again, Paul is leading us upward in this ladder to the next step. And what is that next step? As we're now rooted and planted in Christ's love, he says, so that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now notice here, this is fascinating, that right after emphasizing the need for us as individuals to be strengthened in our inner being, it's an individualistic kind of effort, right? That Paul adds this, with all the saints, with all the saints, he adds in this verse. And so those of us who might be introverts, uh, comfortable with ourselves alone, right? Uh, we like the idea of pursuing strength in our inner being, of pursuing Christ alone. And you're saying, yes, I can do this. This is good. This is right up my alley. But here we see that true Christianity, as Paul lays it out for us, is communal. It's something to be done with others, those who are in the body of Christ. It can't be just you and Jesus. It needs to be you with all the saints pursuing Jesus, all of us together. We need to go deep internally as individuals, but also deep externally with others as a community. This higher life that Paul is praying for and calling us to is one of inward strength, yes, but also outward strength as a community, the growth that we are to pursue together. You can't have one without the other. You can't just grow internally and individualistically without growing 
also with the whole body of Christ, with all the saints. Now, what are we all called to comprehend together and need strength to comprehend? Well, Paul says we are called to grasp what is ungraspable, to know what is unknowable here. Together we are to know the immeasurable love of Christ that he says surpasses knowledge. Know what surpasses knowledge. Paul, he's inviting us here to meditate on the great and deep, deep love of Jesus, as we already sang about. Now, how high and wide is Christ's love for us? How high and wide is it? Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12 says this about God's love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So kids, do you know how vast the universe is? How vast and immense the universe is? I had to look it up. The observable universe today, only observable, it goes beyond that as far as we know, is about 91 billion light years. I can't even wrap my tiny little brain around the the beginning of that. It's vast. It's immense. It's unfathomable how big and vast the universe is. Such is Christ's love for you. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's how wide, how high his love is. Now, how far has Jesus' blood cast away your sins, forgiving you all of them, never to deal with you according to your sins. Well, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, and since eastward travel never ends and westward travel never ends, it continues always. The distance is infinite, and so is Christ's love for you. It's too wide to measure. It's too wide. How deep is his love for you? Think about the the gospel. Deep enough for him to come down from the heights of glory with the Father, to come into our lowliest state in humanity, to be crucified and scorned and mocked, and then buried deep in a tomb for us. And even more than that, we believe that upon the cross, Christ metaphorically or figuratively descended into the depths of hell for us. As the Heidelberg Catechism explains it in this way, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, Christ delivered us from the hellish anguish and torment that we deserve. He drank our hell for us on the cross. You see, Christ's love for you is deeper than the ocean. It's deeper than your deepest fear. It's deeper than you can begin to even imagine. And so I ask, do you fully comprehend his love for you? Do you fully comprehend his love? You should say no. No, I do not. Because it surpasses knowledge, as Paul says. It is boundless, infinite. But let me ask you this question. Do you have a sense of his deep, deep love for you personally? How do you know? Well, after considering and meditating upon his love, do you find your heart humbled to the core? humbled by his love for you and also delighting and desiring to praise him for his great love and mercy and grace he has shown us. If that is the case, then it's evidence that you know him not just in your mind, but you know him in your heart. And that is the work of the Spirit strengthening you, 
little by little to better comprehend with all the saints here together what is the love of Christ for us. And that leads us now to the last step on the ladder. As we move on in the text, if you're looking at it, the more we are strengthened by the Spirit to apprehend Christ's love for us, to get a better grasp of it, Paul says that we are to be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the grand finale, the, the top of the ladder, so to speak. It's the end goal. But what does the fullness of God mean? Well, in the fourth century, the great uh, preacher, Christosom, he says that the fullness of God is the excellence of which God himself is full. The excellence of which God himself is full. We can also say it in this way, in brief, that it is God's own presence, life, and power. And again, we have to remember the Old Testament in the context of the temple, which is in the background of this text. So just as God filled the temple in the Old Testament with his glorious presence, so now God is filling his new temple, the worldwide church, with his presence, his glory. And that's why Paul says in verse 21 at the end of our passage, to God be glory in the church. The church is the showcase of God's glory, the place where his glory resides and dwells as his new spiritual temple. And this is a glorious end, loved ones, that is set before us in our Christian life, a goal that is for us both as individuals with our inner being, being strengthened by the Spirit, but also as a community with all of the saints. And instead of finishing our lives at the end, coming to the end in our last breath, on our deathbed, empty and weak on the inside, Here we have the prospect and the promise that one day we will be filled with all the fullness of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Not just as individuals, but as a people, as a community, as a family of God. This is amazing. I hope you find your heart desiring this more and more, the fullness of God, because this is what we were made for in the beginning and what Christ is bringing us to by His grace. Now, at this point, as we kind of come to a close, you might be thinking, well, I can never reach the top of this ladder. This is far too high for me to to reach. Look at where I'm at right now. I'm so far away. You might be saying also, I see the church, the church globally in the world, or our church itself, and it seems like a galaxy far, far away from this point of glory that Paul is describing here. Sure, it might be a nice ladder, and the view is probably great from up top there, but why even try and climb? I'm not going to make it. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, first, brother and sister in Christ, let me be honest with you. It's true that you alone don't stand a chance, and you alone never did. But guess what? It doesn't matter, because it doesn't depend upon you. You don't stand a chance on your own, but you're not alone, are you? And that's what Paul is getting at in the last part of our text. Look at verses 20 through 21. It's almost as if Paul anticipates our pessimism and negativity at this point. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see, you are not able, but God is able. How capable, how able is he? He can do far more abundantly than you even ask or think, Paul says. Nothing can stop him in his 
desire to make this a reality for us. So the distance between where you are now spiritually and where you will be in glory might seem impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God at all. And Christian, he says that God's power, his power, the same power of Jesus' resurrection is at work in you, and he will finish what he started. Remember, in our, in our Christian walk, in our pursuit of the glory of God, and being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. For every one look that you have at yourself, there's the wise saying, for every one look you give to yourself, take ten looks to Jesus, because he is able. It depends on him, and he has promised. He is able. He will make it happen. Now we'll finish with this. It's a passage in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul, he makes this promise, which is connected to everything we've been seeing here, where Paul promises this, that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory into another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. You see, this comes from the Lord, our God. He will take you there. He will bring you there. And so let us join the Apostle Paul in pursuit of this higher life by bowing our knees to the Father with him asking for the Spirit to strengthen us more and more in our inner being so that Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith until together with all the saints we be filled to the brim with all the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you, Father God, for this glorious and majestic text set before us, a prayer that should always be upon our lips one that reminds us of what we were made for, what you have redeemed us for, and the great privilege and promise that is set before us, that one day, united to Christ by faith, with your Holy Spirit, that we will be filled with all the fullness of God because of your immeasurable love for us, which surpasses knowledge. Lord, we ask you to strengthen us to know and delight and comprehend more and more together your love for us, that we might be rooted and grounded in that love. Do this work within our hearts. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, loved ones, let's stand and sing a song of application in preparation for the Lord's Supper as well. Number 351, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. 351. <laughs>